fuck it. We're going straight in, mate. We're going straight in. Love it. Um, so yeah, how's how's uh, how are you, but, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. <laughs> My name is Christopher Martin Burns. I'm your host. Um, introducing right away. Why not we? Why not get straight to it? Um, my guest this week, uh, dear friend of mine, stand-up comedian, stand-up guy, in fact, in general, um, and uh, revolutionising the financial industry and creating infinite wealth for the middle class in Mexico with Midas, uh, fintech, his wonderful business, which I've been working with him on for the last several months. Um, Ritik Batnagar. Hey, there we go. Cheers, man. Thank you so much for the kind words and... Likewise to all the listeners, I mean, Chris has been an amazing help and, you know, anyone out there who is actually looking for fundraising or B2B business development, hit this guy up and it'll change your life. So really, really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Um, I'm really, really glad you could do this. Um, and I, I know, I know you like, you've actually helped me a lot. Uh, just in the messages we've had in the last week or so since I told you I was doing this and like you pointed me towards the podcast that you did before um, which I still maintain that you should carry on with um, but um, yeah I, I appreciate the advice um, I've, I've given your podcast a listen I've, I think I've listened to five or six episodes and really like the way you did it I really like how it kind of was like snappy punchy didn't drone on for too long I'm going to try and carry that into today's conversation um and get uh, get to the point on various things um but yeah um appreciate your support man and thank you for doing this so as i said in the introduction um i've been working with ritik for the last several months um helping him with mainly introductions to investors um kind of coming up with a with a fundraising strategy which in a fairly difficult environment at the moment for raising in any industry. Um, so you and I have been trying to kind of navigate those waters together, um, which has been interesting, but we've gotten to know each other pretty well in the process. Um, why don't we take a step back and, and why don't you just give an overview just really briefly of your background and then what's, what took you to Mexico firstly um, and what you're trying to do, well, maybe not too much from that. Uh, <laughs> uh, to Mexico and then what you're trying to do there with Midas um, and your partner, Julio, um, what you guys are doing and yeah. what the mission is in general. Great, yeah, um, and thank you for that. Uh, so I was born in Delhi, grew up in Singapore, did all my education, Army, university, all of that, uh, studied quantitative finance and worked at uh, Barclays and then UBS Investment Bank uh, on the trading floor doing some uh, bonds and then after that, uh, high frequency trading. Um, really, really enjoyed it, but, um, you know, I fell in love with a Mexican lady and uh, decided that, you know, if there's ever going to be a time for me to take a risk, it would be now, packed my bags, just bought a one-way ticket, no return to Mexico with no Spanish, still the case after eight years. Uh, uh, your Spanish is better than mine, mate. <laughs> oh, but you haven't lived there eight years. <laughs> uh, and you know, a few interviews, not even a job. Uh, and some savings and you know, it, it was actually really funny because like a lot of things in my career and my life just out of the blue I was trying to interview for another job um, and met the CEO of Confio which is now a unicorn uh, company at a bar and we just sort of vibed and a month later I was employee 13 at Confio um, you know and this was the first ever time I've worked in a startup before so Lots of lots of shock, uh, you know, Asia versus Mexico, and then on top of that, coming from that sort of that corporate environment to really getting my hands dirty in a startup where yeah. there's no there's no systems, there's nothing that's been established. Everything has been has to be done yourself. Right. Uh, was was a pleasant surprise because I didn't know that about myself either in terms of the kind of challenges that I like in my career that. Uh, I genuinely like to get into like the weeds of things and understand everything really well and see how we can solve any type of problem. And then at Confio, essentially, my job was um, 
specialized a bit more in the corporate development side. So fundraising, doing all the due diligences, uh, preparing all the materials, uh, sometimes pitching to investors. And at the same time, um, a lot of the corporate strategy as well, like once we secure the funding, how do we deploy that capital? What are the returns? How do I budget for the marketing expenses versus hiring expenses? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that. So very, very good learning lesson. And then um, move to Didi after that to create Didi Pay, which is the fintech arm of Didi. And the idea here was that to have a startup within a startup. I mean, it was just the three of us uh, in a company that was employing about like uh, 600, 700 people just in Mexico. And um, with a budget of zero, we were tasked to <laughs> come up with a, with a debit card and beat Uber to market while we were at it. So somehow managed to pull that off um, and started growing that business. But then COVID hit and essentially we were just sort of uh, in a pause for a very long time. So decided to sort of branch out. At that point in time, I was very interested in the whole neo banking system. So worked with several neobanks as well as some other startups like Urban to help them, give them advice on financial modeling, um, how to sort of structure your deck, what to say yes. to an investor, yeah. something a lot like what you're doing as well. You know, so that's also kind of something that made us very sort of click immediately. Um, and then joined a Singaporean company called Neum, which does B2B remittances, a great company, lots of support and at around that time you know that startup funding bubble was in full effect and everybody in the grandmother with the deck was raising capital so i figured (laughs) eh, why not try it (laughs) 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 and i've always been great mission rizik great mission (laughs) that's the vision that we went into (laughs) fuck it let's open powerpoint and give this a go I swear to God, our first deck, literally, we didn't even have a name. So it was just called Robo Advisor. Yeah. That was the name of our company, just Robo Advisor. <laughs> and and we were just trying to, very original. Uh, and then <laughs> we, we started exploring. And I think maybe because, in a sense, growing up a bit more middle class, um, you know, always saving money was always the name of the game. But how were some people able to save so much better than, you know, what my family was doing or mm. what was the reason why there was such this divide when we're saving so much? It was always something that I was very passionate about. Yeah. And seeing the situation in Mexico where it's so similar, you know, people rather stash their money under the bed than invest because right. it's just this very bad perception of, oh, I lost all my money in the stock market. And of course, there are a lot of scammers as well. Uh, and people rather have this sort of, let me gamble my money and see if I can turn this hundred pesos into 10 million. Yeah. Like people rather do that where the probability of that happening is so much lower than just consistently work on it. Um, and I wanted to change that. Investing should be as easy as ordering an Uber. You know, it should just be a few clicks. It's invested and you're just seeing the returns. Right. You know, leave it to the professionals with that level of personalization that you have some skin in the game. That's what we wanted to do with Midas. So that's sort of like the long about way of my experience and also uh, how we came up with Midas. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, it's, well, look, it's a, it's a really, really good idea. And I think as you rightly point out, like people remember big negative situations happening in financial systems, big crashes, and that puts them off investing forever. But, the realities are like I was reading a stat the other day. Like if if the average, I think it was the average American. If the average American put, uh, I think it was a hundred dollars a month for their whole life into into like uh, Fortune five hundred companies um, every month for the whole life, they would retire a millionaire just from doing that. Exactly. Um, so like as you say, like why not? Um, it, it's about creating trust, right? If you can yes. create a platform which people trust to give them good returns, steady returns over a long time, then it's 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 a valid business. And I think Mexico is a very interesting market because there's a big middle class in Mexico, right? Yes. Even there's there's certainly a, a lot below that as well. Um, but there's mm-hmm. plenty of money, there's plenty of people with savings or with expendable 
expendable income who would be interested in investing it, but they don't really have the education on investing. They don't have options. They also they think um, to do it because it's not really part of the culture. It's not really the done thing there. Um, so how have you found like navigating that, like from a customer acquisition point of view, like how have you found like building trust with customers? Like what have your biggest difficulties been in that regard? Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. I think it's been tough. Um, initially on paper, you know, when you start thinking about and you start doing the financial modeling, you're like, oh, okay, we only need $50 million in assets under management. And then you're doing the market sizing and you're like, oh man, there's hundreds and billions of dollars that's out there. You mm. just need such a tiny percentage. And on paper, it sounds relatively easy. But in practice, you know, you have to genuinely convince the customer and even like the smallest bug, like I'm talking just the app taking two seconds longer to load. Yeah. People immediately start questioning like, is this legit? You know, and you immediately start going like, no, don't worry about it. This is this. And especially, you know, me and my co-founder were like in our 30s. So there's also that sort of, uh, what do these young guys know? You know what I mean? And right, right. People are more likely to listen to... You know, these snake oil salesmen who play on like the emotional strings, like, don't you want to retire with this big car and whatnot? Look at my car and I'm only 25. Like people would rather listen to that than sane investment advice. Sure. That has been a very, very big learning lesson for us because it's a lot like health, right? If I told you, if you want to get six pack abs and look like Brad Pitt, all you have to do is just run, weight lift, exercise and eat right. And people are like, no, but what about this magical pill that's in the market? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they'd rather go that way than just put in very basic, consistent effort. So yeah. um, that that sort of stuff has been challenging. Trust is very tough because Mexico especially has suffered from several financial crises. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't help. So when we first started the DD uh, debit card for our drivers... Mm -hmm. We wanted to partner with a bank because we thought they would want that trust in the backing of a bank. But when we started doing customer surveys, people were like, no, if there's a bank involved, I don't want it. So we worked with a fintech and labeled it completely on Didi because people were way more trusting of the Didi brand than mm -hmm. a bank. Right. So that was also a big revelation that if we wanted to do this, we would have to come up with the portfolios ourselves. We shouldn't be going to the bank and doing some sort of like a partnership or something. So that sort of learning lesson was was very tough. And, and uh, do yeah. you see are people? So people are distrusting of banks. Like people are distrusting of like their own retail bank. Like they're not yeah. just distrusting of like the investment banking industry as like a sidearm. They're like they're literally distrusting of like where you would go to get a mortgage. Yep. You'll be surprised. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially the base of the pyramid. Um, and it's also really fascinating uh, when you look at the type of banks that different classes within Mexico bank with. Like, for example, like the working professionals or like the people in big companies and whatnot. They'll be so pretty much be with like Bancomer, uh, Banorte and Santander. But mm. if you look at like the Didi drivers or like my cleaning lady, for example, they're all banking with Banco Azteca. Like, it, mm. it's just, if you talk to them, hey, why don't you open this account? We'll be like, I don't trust it. But then if you look at the fees, the sort of uh, charges and all of that with Azteca is so much more expensive mm -hmm. than Bancomer. But there's this PR that they've done really well that we are the base of the pyramid bank, which is utterly fascinating. So the point I'm trying to make with that as well is, you know, it, with our app, uh, one thing we realized very quickly as well, of course, we want to cover every single person in the Mexican population that is not already being served by like a JP Morgan private bank. Um, there's different types and levels of marketing. Yeah. Um, what I would want to say to a DD driver is very different from somebody like yourself, like an expat living in Mexico or somebody who is like a college educated uh, individual that's working in banking or big tech or something. So that was also a bit of a challenge. And um, recently what we realized is that there's a massive opportunity 
on the B2B side as well on the fact that companies also need investments. It's right. not just individuals. So right. that's something that has sort of been clicking and it's sort of in the works right now for uh, Midas. Good thinking. And I th- you've, I know you've had some discussions with, with larger financial institutions around maybe white labeling your solutions into, into their customer bases. Um, have you got much traction in that, in that sense? Um, or have you, have you experienced similar pushback from, from large financial institutions in Mexico on, on working on that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so with large financial institutions or just large institutions in general, mm. they don't normally move fast and <laughs> there's always, you know, communication gaps. Like yeah. I could pitch to individual one, he'll understand maybe 80% of it by the time he relays it to his team, right. 50%. And then by yeah. the time the person that's like boots on the ground, 20% would have arrived. Message completely diluted by the time it gets to where it needs to go. Exactly. So that's yeah. that's always tricky. Um, we believe that white label solution is a, a very, very scalable and interesting idea, um, at least on paper, right? Um, but the challenges we foresee is that um, just like the retail customers, like individuals, mm. companies also need to get a bit smarter on just basic financial education. They sure. could be very, very good at managing their own money and how that works. But in order to maximize that, um, there's still a bit of a gap in that sense. So mm. the technology we've built, we're very proud of it. Uh, but sometimes you can have a conversation where it would be like, wow, you guys are doing this algorithm investing in the US, etc. Our customers would love it. Mm. But what I want is just put my money in government bonds. You know, uh, just because that's like the the line that's just been sort of shoved down people's throats yeah. for the past few months. Yeah. So there, there is that sort of gap. Um, but we still genuinely believe that uh, the white labeling solution is, is something that will be very very viable in a few months or a year or two down the road yeah i think so too um i think you 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 just gotta you've just gotta play the game of the institution um and you know hopefully where you've hopefully you get to speak to enough of the right people for them to make and they can and they get it for them to make a decision um so yeah i i have faith um We'll get on to, I think, just talking generally about Mexico in a minute, because you, I've lived there, you live, you've lived there for a long time, would love to compare notes on that. It's a very, very interesting country. Um, but how do you see, like, talking about the fintech space generally, um, seen a lot of activity in it um, the last year or two, particularly, like, shit's really, really picked up, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be fair to say. I think it's one of the more active spaces right now. In terms of investment, a lot of things have slowed down in other areas. Um, FinTech is still doing reasonably well um, in terms of early stage raises. Um, how do you see it? I mean, do, do you see it as a bubble or do you see this as, as, as a kind of sustainable space with a lot more to give in terms of innovation? Yeah, um, very good question. The, the sort of comparison I always like to make is that you know, Mexico is sort of like five to seven years behind India mm-hmm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. And India and Mexico are very similar um, in terms of culture, in terms of this massive middle class, the sort of uh, gaps in terms of education. Um, but the tech adoption that has happened in India, uh, where even like, you know, people selling tea on the corner of the road, they don't accept cash anymore. They just put their phones, you just yeah. tap your card or phone by phone and you can exchange, uh, pay for your tea on the on the street corner. So what I believe is that there's still so much more that can be done uh, in an expanding economy like Mexico where the population is generally very young and yeah. a massive middle class. Uh, and they genuinely need a lot of, um, you know, there is a lot of, how do I say, constraints um one in terms of the talent um that 
can drive this sort of uh, innovation in a short span of time. And that's one sort of big difference between, I would say, like India and Mexico in that sense, where in India, there's like, everyone's an engineer. You know what I right. mean? Like, right. uh, and in Mexico, that's still sort of up and coming or the population is still sort of relatively smaller in that sense. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I would say is like, you know, the opportunity, there is a lot more control in terms of regulation. Like Mexico is one of the most regulated countries in the world. Mm. So for you to uh, genuinely disrupt things or, you know, that Uber model that, you know, ask for forgiveness, not for permission, right? Uh, that, that, that's what that, I always that, say. <laughs> that, that can be a bit difficult here yeah. because it's so regulated. And navigating around that regulation, you need to really understand the law or pay a lot of money to somebody to kind of explain to you how you can work within those means or those goalposts. So there is a lot of opportunity. And... You know, you, you always hear that about emerging markets that, oh yeah. my God, there's so much opportunity here. Look at this stat, this stat and whatnot. But on on the ground itself, then you start realizing there's a massive con like divergence because there's always intangibles mm. or certain tangibles that immediately make you question it. Um, so I would say that in the speed that which India has adopted tech and genuinely run with it, Mm. Um, I would expect like the speed of which ha of that happening in Mexico is maybe 75% of that or maybe 50% of that. But there's still a lot, a lot of things that we can be doing better. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so how do you, I mean, what is, what is the, how do you find Mexico generally as a place to live? Like as an expat, I spent six months there. It was, uh, an interesting experience to say the least and certainly had its ups and downs um but you know all in all it's it's mexico city talking about specifically it's an incredible mm. place to live like it's i think most people talking about myself i guess mainly but i mean like it's, it's before i went there i had no idea what it was what it was mm. really going to be like like mm. i had my stupid like uh, stereotypes in my head of what Mexico would be like. I, d I didn't give Mexico City any kind of credit in terms of how big it is, how much mm. of a business powerhouse, a financial powerhouse it is, like how how it's the bridge between North and Latin America. Like mm. it's it's it is it is a huge place, incredibly multicultural, um, uh, incredibly diverse, incredibly open, vibrant, exciting. Um, but it certainly has its it's flip side um, where there's, you know, there's, there are, there are darker elements to it as well. Mm -hmm. um, how do you find it living there? Um, you know, what's, what's kept you there aside from Midas? Um, and do you see yourself living there long term? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I guess um, coming from Singapore, uh, which, you know, with its tall, shiny buildings and the fact that Singapore is such a young country that has uh, grown so much over the past few decades. It's always like that sort of, oh, have I traveled back in time a little? Because Singapore is also in its own bubble of that sort of first world, fast moving, etc. I kind of love that about Mexico, where, you know, the, the pace is a bit slower. Mm -hmm. uh, you can breathe a little. Um the culture, of course, I mean, statistically speaking, Mexicans work the longest hours in the world or like, or like second or third or something. But what I love about the culture is that it's not just, oh, I'm just going to focus on work or being busy is considered cool. Um, mm -hmm. There is that sort of element of like family first, which yeah. I really like. Yeah. Um, there is that sort of, you know, warmth that you get from people. You could meet somebody just at a bar and they'll be like, you're my brother now. You know, it's just that that sort of openness, which I genuinely love, which is a lot like India in that sense, where mm -hmm. you know everybody's your relative. Uh, even taxi drivers, we don't call them sir or whatever. We just say uncle, as if they're your mom's brother or your dad's brother. Yeah. It's the same thing 
here. I love that warmth. I love the food. The, the weather is fantastic. Um, so I can't really complain about that and the opportunity to, you know, and maybe I'm a bit more biased here as an expat uh, versus if I had actually grown up here. Mm. Um, as an expat, people tend to have that sort of rosy lenses about foreigners in that sense. They're, oh, wow, he's from Singapore. He probably must know something that I don't. Most yeah. of the time, that's not even true. But yeah. it's just that having that door a bit more open versus if I had to fight with the rest of the population. Um, yeah. Definitely uh, that exists. Uh, and um, in terms of cost of living, you know, anybody can genuinely have a comfortable life without having to work several jobs. Mm. Uh, like, for example, in the U.S., um, there isn't that sort of chase towards materialism, which I found a lot in the U.S. and in Singapore, where your worth is only decided by the job that you have, the mm. place that you live, the car that you drive. It's a lot more like who, are, who you are as a person. Like you could be super successful and rich, but if you're like just an unpleasant person, nobody's going to want to hang out with you, which mm. I genuinely love about here as well. And um, in terms of sort of like the downsides, you know, again, coming from Singapore, where like public transport is just uh, a lot more efficient in that sense. And you are definitely used to that from London as well. And you can take the tube yeah. anywhere, anytime. Um, yeah. That, but of then course... Again but then again, yeah. Ubers are so cheap in Mexico. It's like exactly. it's it's literally cheaper than getting the underground in Europe. Like exactly, exactly. So again, it, can't complain. Yeah, <laughs> like even the negatives, I can sort of change into the positives in that yeah. sense. You know, um, getting domestic help, which would be impossible in Singapore, yeah, uh, is something that's some, I, I genuinely never take for granted here. I'm very very happy I can get that, mm. um, and. One thing I would say, like, which I think I briefly touched on before, in the business side of the world, talent can definitely be better. Um, like, you know, within the startup world, you always have this, like, we need a 10x engineer or a mm. 10x employee, somebody who can genuinely come in and not just proactively do their own projects, but help improve processes across the board. That is still a bit tough to find here, but I'm glad that, this explosion in entrepreneurship and people actually taking the risk to join a startup has given a lot of people the confidence to move towards or being in charge or having that ownership. Uh, what you find a lot in the corporate world here is that sort of hierarchy uh, where, you know, this is my job. That's all I want to do. I don't want to shake Very the old school. Very old school. Whatever my boss tells me, that's what I'm going to do. Nothing yeah. more, nothing less. Yeah. which is fine, but it's not going to fuel a lot of innovation. Um, right, right. And are you, do you think, like, there's a, there's a massive expat scene in Mexico City, yes. particularly, like, in the startup, in the startup scene, which is, yeah. I, again, was another thing I was blown away by the size of it. I mean, I knew people there already, and, you know, they kind of told me beforehand what it was like, but I, I kind of underestimated it, I guess. Um, do you think that's been driven primarily by expats moving there? Um, or do you think that would have come about naturally within, within the local community? And has, you know, how, how do those two communities mix? You know, do you see competition, competition between local startups run by local people and people trying to operate in Mexico as expats? Mm, very good question as well. So, I had the privilege of being part of Confio since like end of 2015. Uh -huh. And at that point of time, maybe there were like three or four maximum VC funded startups, mm. right? And even lesser fintechs. A lot of them were like, um, like tech companies, but they were just sort of like marketplaces, just something that would explore the idea of tech, but not so much break the existing status quo with technology. Sure. So having been part of that at that time, getting funding, um, there were not so many expats as well, but there was a lot of interest from VCs who felt like the US or the UK or the European market was starting to get saturated. And if they wanted to improve their internal rate of return, 
they would have to find some other opportunity that could genuinely give them these massive returns that they're known for. Mm. So Mexico, Brazil were like the two main targets and Brazil was first and definitely that spillover effect was starting to happen where the success of companies like Nubank uh, was driving VCs and giving them a lot more confidence that, okay, we've seen a lot of success here already from very, very smart people. Yeah, I'm sure there is something like that in Mexico. So that created a very positive, virtuous cycle where it drove people towards the startup world, uh, made it a lot more common, not as seen as like, a, well, why are you taking this massive risk? You know, just work a corporate job type sort of thing. It yeah. normalized things. And it also drove a lot of expat population here because either they were confident that they could replicate an existing business in their markets, be it in the US or Europe, mm-hmm. um, and do it successfully in an emerging market, yeah. or um, get some experience of working mm-hmm. in a LATAM startup and understand what are the differences. Then nowadays it's become even more sort of normal where uh, an expat would just sort of move and create a startup just for Mexico. Um, to be honest, I don't see that much competition in that sense because the local startups or like the Mexican founded startups, they tend to have this sort of very localized um, uh, problem solving uh, kind of facet to them. Right. And they have that idea that only Mexicans would vibe with. And a lot of the expat startups are more like, okay, let me create a, a, a how do I say, like a, a payments company or something that could be even implemented throughout Latin. Um, so in that sense, if I were to draw like a Venn diagram, you know, there's those two. And then in between, there is a, a bunch of competition. But what you'll realize is that Mexico has been very welcoming um, a lot of people from South America, like Argentinians, Venezuelans, Brazilians, have also started companies in Mexico very, very successfully. So that has also given them this sort of breeding ground of just anybody can do it, mm. which is very, very positive. Like, I love that, that you don't have to be a Mexican born and brought up in order to understand the, the population, the problem and solve it. You could do it as anybody else, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's phenomenal in that sense. Um, and I think they've got the right idea in, in the sense that um, inviting as much talent, as, as much top-tier talent as they can from, from tech generally into Mexico and enabling them to start companies very easily will create... Uh, create jobs, create wealth, but it will also educate the local population, like the next generation of entrepreneurs on how to do it themselves. So it may seem to some like, you know, there's this influx of of kind of people trying to take advantage of a, a growing market, but really that's how a market grows. And then that's how the locals learn how to do it. Mexicans can be, or certainly in my experience from there, what I've found is they were it's a very insular country. Very, very few Mexicans, like on the grand scheme of things, travel elsewhere. Most mm. of them seem to stay in Mexico. Some, but they have mm. a very Mexican-centric view on things, mm-hmm. um, which is cool for the culture because they're so fucking Mexican. Like it's, yeah. it's like, do you know what I mean? Like they're, I love they're, it. they're just they have a, they know who they are, which is yeah. really cool. But um, in in the in the sense of like kind of understanding what's going on in other parts of the world, bringing those trends into into Mexico for the benefit of, of the people and for growing industry and so on. Um, it can be a little bit slower. So, you know, getting getting people in from abroad and seeing, seeing how open people are to going there as well and doing things and trying things and making things happen and work. Um, it's a really cool environment. Um, and I would certainly encourage, as I'm sure you would, anyone um, within the startup scene, from a, as a financier, um, particularly, like I think more more funds, more investors need to go down to Mexico and actually mm. see what it's like and understand it because so many look upon it from afar, mm. having never been there or have only visited there, 
they haven't gone there for any any particular any period of time. I was really surprised at how advanced it is and mm-hmm. how and when you get there you're like, "Oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be." Right? This isn't like this isn't the kind of wild west like shootout like mm-hmm. every five minutes that I was expecting. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of intelligent people here doing a lot of intelligent things and there's fucking amazing scope for investment there. Mm-hmm. But it's so hard to get like an American VC fund, right? To listen to, oh, they're like, no, we only invest. We, we would do this mm-hmm. if it was in the US. I oh, know we only mm-hmm. invest in the US. No, we don't want to invest in Mexico. Really is what they're saying is we're not investing in Mexico. We don't like Mexicans because yeah. really probably that's the view of a lot of their LPs which is yeah. just fucking sad. Yeah. Like, it's really sad. People, I think, I, as any investor out there, go to Mexico and look at what the opportunity is and meet the people there. See the amount of incredible people there are innovating, creating great companies. And aside from the technology side, look at the fucking opportunity, man. I mean, you can kill it down there. And yeah. there are good guys down there um, who, can, who can help you along the way. There are people who have been on the ground there who bothered to go and do it. Um, who've been on the ground there, moved there, you know, thinking about Sean as an example, like mm-hmm. he's actually, as a very successful VC in the States, saw the opportunity there, went there, spent the time to open up, open up an office there, raise a fund there, do all of this stuff. Not enough people doing that, in my view, considering, yeah. considering the opportunity that's there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of that, you know, that sort of, when Silicon Valley was in like the eighties, nineties, maybe up to like the late nineties, where yeah. it's just a bunch of crazy people with some ideas that you know, and the community is small. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's friendly. It's not like uh, I can't wait to slit this guy's business. You know, there's none of that sort of uh, level of uh, aggressiveness. It's way more collaborative way more collaborative yeah and i could go to my competition and be like hey man i don't understand how to solve this problem be like yeah don't worry let's just do it together that is so common here uh which i love so that also is just the right timing in that sense what i feel that uh for i think it's a cultural thing as well though like i think i i think it's mexico's much traditionally much more of a left-leaning country than, than than the us is for example i think people aren't necessarily brought up in that cutthroat capitalism mm-hmm. way that they are in the states um mm-hmm. so i think that translates even to expats in the startup scene like i think that's just naturally how the ecosystem has evolved mm-hmm. people just help each other and work together where they can which is absolutely. really fucking cool absolutely and which also makes it a very attractive sort of place for investing mm. because um you're not out there to just sort of pick and choose. Um, and there's only no. five guys that you can invest in. There's so many people. Yeah. Um, and you're not out yeah. there to try to pick one winner that's going to monopolize everything. Like you're, you're out there, you can pick several who will do really well and will, and will get a big chunk of a, of a big industry, whatever that, whatever that may be. Like, yeah, it's, um, I think it's, it, it's, and I also kind of think it's indicative of like our generation a little bit. Like I think our generation are a little bit less like cutthroat competitive mm-hmm. capitalists. I think we tend to be a bit more like, right, let, I mean, make a bunch of money, sure. But like, you know, what's the point if it's only for you? Like, why right. not make good money altogether? Yeah. Um, so Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's also part of it. Um, yeah, starting. You're making me miss Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nailed it. <laughs> that was the only reason why I decided to come on. <laughs> Get this guy back down. In. <laughs> we miss you here, bro. What are you talking uh, about? I, of I miss you, bro. I miss all of you too, man. Um, I miss it. I needed to get away though. Like, you'd, I, I. You know what it was like for me down there. Like I, it's, I was going through a shitty time in my life when I moved there, yeah. and I had, I, mean, I, I met some incredible people down there. Did some good work, but you know, I, I got sucked into some bad things down there as well, which, which didn't do me any favors. But then, fortunately, I met my amazing now girlfriend, and uh, 
yeah, and we came up to Toronto and and I'm really enjoying it up here as well. But I would love to come back to Mexico and make kind of, you know, in, in a different sort of frame of mind. Whether yeah. we whether we have time to before we go to Europe at the end of August, I don't know. I mean I might I might pop down I might pop down for a weekend or something, um, and try and get Kiki to come with me. Um yeah. but we'll see. Um we will see before uh yeah, we'll see in the next six weeks or so. Um, but I like e- either way. I think like she doesn't know this yet. I'm going to try and twist her arm to go back, <laughs> go back there like next February, March for a couple we'll of hear months. Hear it first time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this will be the test and see whether she actually listens. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, it was great. But we'll see. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry, Kiki, I love you. <laughs> I love it. Oh, um, let's uh, let's finish off by talking about some stand up stuff. Yeah. Um, you're a stand up comedian. How like I you know I I try to be a stand up comedian sometimes. Like I love writing comedy. I love comedy. I'm a massive fan of it. I think like as a as a therapeutic um, mm-hmm. as well as an art form, it can be very very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start stand up? When did it come into your life? Um, and how do you find the scene in Mexico? Yeah, um, I mean, growing up, I was always like that sort of, you know, that class clown, just that funny guy that would disrupt class and get kicked out and whatnot. Yeah, uh, I didn't know you could get paid money to do that. So <laughs> when, <laughs> when the whole like YouTube and, you know, you'd see people going up on stage and just telling jokes. Uh, and Singapore was never really that sort of uh, art first kind of society. So there wasn't any like open mics or anything, but uh, with time, they started opening up and, you know, just decided to give it a shot. I think luckily for me, the first time I did it, it went well. So it just gave me that motivation to keep doing it. And then the next 10 or 15 times, it's just terrible. But you know, leveraging on the first time, it just kind of gave me the juice to keep going, keep writing. And one advantage of performing in Mexico is that as somebody that's new, I can always kind of make observations that kind of go like, huh, why do you guys say this? Why do you guys say that? And challenging the audience while making them laugh is kind of like my shtick. In, sure. in comedy and the scene here is exploding right now and you know just like the startup world a lot of expats are coming here to do art and comedy yeah. as well so it's like uh bi-weekly or, or actually no not even that like two times a week there's english comedy open mics um there is uh monthly shows um you know people actually can make it as their full-time job now before that you know you you were you had to get a day job because unless you were already already very famous or you were doing tv work or something uh doing stand-up comedy didn't pay which is you know a universally accepted fact um and you know the comedy scene here is is you know still growing despite there being so many open mics and sort of mm. like the established crowd and whatnot, there's still the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, which who are doing ridiculously well. And, um, you know, you're surprised because when I first started here, it was like 2015, 2016. And um, there was a lot to be desired mm. in that sense. You know, it, it was that sort of feeling that, oh, I'm the funny guy within my group of friends. Yeah. That should translate to me being a great comedian. Which is never the case, <laughs> right? Uh, and then people get a shock, like, "Wait, why is no one laughing? What happened? I'm, I'm the funny guy within the group, right?" Um, and then now people genuinely take the effort, write jokes, to spitball it, they go for workshops, yeah. Uh, and the kind of talent that you see just on the open mics is amazing. I mean, I'm blown away. I don't think I would have been able to compete with the people now. Uh, yeah. versus when I started. I think, again, I just got lucky, just came in at the right time and, um, you know, being able to do 15, 20 minutes of comedy for a group of people who are paying me to do it 
that's never a long time, man. That's a long time. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot of time to fill. Yeah, I, I have trouble filling three minutes. <laughs> I mean, it, it like sometimes I can't believe it um, mm. because some like there will be times where I can't do comedy due to work or just personal commitments. Yeah, and then I go back and suddenly I'm like, just it just starts clicking. You know, as long as I prep my set, I go through my process. Um, time sort of disappears. Sometimes where, of course, the crowd is also important. If they're really vibing sure. with you, poof, I could do it for 45 minutes even yeah, if yeah. I wanted to. But like, there are times where it's not. Even five minutes feels like an hour with the light shining on your face. You're sweating a little. <laughs> just that sort of, just that awkward sort of like, yeah, do you guys like that? You're like, oh, those are just tough. Um, and that's where the community is so important. Uh, they're so supportive of each other, which is uh, always a great sort of, um, you know, kind of moment to have where after the show, we're just like, oh, I think, you know, giving each other feedback or uh, even better, like, you know, suggesting jokes that fit my style versus their style and vice versa. It's always really, really fun to be around those folks. Definitely, yeah. I can go in my experience. It can go two ways with like with comedy scenes. Like some some scenes, you just like everyone's assholes to each other, like right. and they're not interested in welcoming new people or anything like that. But yeah. then others, like I mean, Barcelona's very like this as well. Barcelona, like when I was that's when I started doing it before I moved to Mexico. Like super welcoming, like super lovely people. Um, like you know, it particularly open mic nights. Like you know, everyone's welcome. Everyone helps each other. Like really, really nice. Um, but um but yeah nice to nice to hear it's like that there too and um good to hear you're getting on well with it i i still haven't even been to see you um <laughs> yeah it's been tough i mean with the startup um you know i don't want to be doing the same jokes again um you know you you want to challenge yourself when you're on stage and do you use your startup experiences as material absolutely yeah absolutely i mean uh and just the whole sort of being in a LATAM startup world or just the startup world. And then, you know, you always come across entrepreneurs wearing black turtlenecks to every single meeting, you know, that kind of shit. You can't help but make fun of them, you know what I mean? <laughs> so there's always that and you just kind of go like, oh man, this is too easy. <laughs> and using that to kind of, you know, write about stuff, um, yeah. coming up with bullshit business ideas, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, that always helps uh, kind of fuel the next part of the jokes. But yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. it's been kind of complicated. Um, and a lot of times the, the stand-up nights are on weekdays. So it's also, you know, um, finish a long day of work and then you got to rush to the stage and then finish and then go back again so it can be a bit complicated but um hopefully soon enough um i'll be able to do something always excited to be given the opportunity yeah good stuff man so let's finish off with what's next for like what's next for you like where do you see things going with midas in the next like one or two years um do you see yourself staying in mexico for for an extended time yeah. um what ambitions do you have maybe looking post Midas, um, what are you, what, what are your, what's, what's, what's on the cards for Ritik Badnaga? Great pronunciation of my last name, by the way. Well, Was it what? Did I do it well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, nailed it. <laughs> um, um, I think, you know, normally like the, the startup life cycle in that sense, especially a VC funded life cycle is that if you survive, the first two to four years, mm. then then you get this sort of explosive growth and you're able to surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. Uh, at that point of time, sort of the founders also start taking a bit of a step back in that sense because uh, you always need to evolve with the different stages of the company. Sure. And um, a lot of them are immediately looking for like the next challenge. Uh, would I start another startup? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's the worst, best decision of my life that I've made. 
it's yeah. always so much fun. I love the team. I love what we're doing. Uh, but would I put myself through it again, especially maybe at the age of 40 plus? I doubt it. Uh, it's just a lot of work. Um, not that I'm discouraging anybody from doing it, but me personally. Please, for I, the love of God, don't let that put you off, listeners. Yeah, exactly. Please, please. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm not, it's just, you know, me personally, um, you know, up until that point that I get to the part where um, either we go all the way up and I can sort of take a step back or, you know, knock on wood, um, not that I'm hoping for, like if, if something were to happen and, you know, 99 or 95% of all startups fail, mm. if that happens, then um, um, perhaps I would want to live somewhere else before I settle down. But I love Mexico. So I would be very surprised if I don't end up spending like the next phase of my life here, uh, you know, sort of settling down, having kids, et cetera. That would be amazing to have that here in Mexico. And what I would want to do if, you know, if let's say things go well, I'd love to give back. Um, you know, a lot of people have that little sort of agree with me here where um, you never do this alone. It is a very lonely job, yeah. but you're never alone. And the people who help you don't expect anything in return. Mm -hmm. So being able to give back uh, however I can in that sense, that would be amazing. Um, that I think is uh, probably the next thing, whether it's an advisor, an investor, uh, a mentor, in whatever capacity, I can do it. I would love to be part of that. And yeah, I think just that's feed that's back step. into the cycle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because everybody knows how difficult it, it is. And if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, but it takes a certain type of person, certain uh, type of maniac. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, to do that. So any sort of way I can give back, there will be, you know, a, a massive privilege to me. Beautiful message um, and really good talking to you, Ritik. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you so much. Um, hopefully everyone found that insightful. Um, happy Canada Day for tomorrow. Yeah. All of our Canadian listeners, happy 4th of July next week for you Yanks. Um, and, uh, everybody have a great weekend. Um, we'll be back next week with Vidit Gupta, uh, nice. CEO, founder of Elevar Salud. Uh, revolutionizing the healthcare system within Mexico, which is no small feat, um, but doing a damn fine job of it. Um, Ritik, best of luck with your mission. Um, let's go on. Um, keep building Midas. Uh, get it to where it needs to be. Um, pleasure again, man. Thank you so much. Likewise. Um, pleasure very is all mine. And uh, looking forward to meeting you again, bro. I will be, like I say, let's hopefully in the next couple of months, but if not, We'll be speaking all the time as we do anyway, but uh, get to give you a hug again early next year, I think. Unless you want to come to Toronto, you're always welcome here in the next couple of months. Yeah, with my startup salary and Toronto's expenses. <laughs> I'll have to put my kidney on the black market first and then we can. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, I think if fundraising goes well and whatnot, I'm looking forward to sort of taking some time off anyway. And that'll be amazing to sort of meet up at that yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Well, um, yeah, we'll keep motoring on in the next couple of months. Um, and uh, I think things are starting to ease up at the moment anyway. Like, I think things are going to start to get a little bit easier as we go into like Q4, uh, Q3, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah. So keep going. All right, brother. Thank you very much. Yeah, Have a great weekend. You too, brother. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.